In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 349. That's right. Mark, why don't you tell people what we're talking about tonight since uh, you've been championing this for a long time. So the main topic, the main thrust of this episode will be, technically we'll be doing what the Green Lantern 80-page giant number three from August 2000, which is the Lantern Against the Dark storyline otherwise known as the Green Lantern of Apocalypse storyline or the introduction of Raker Karagat into the Green Lantern mythos. And, yeah, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite Kyle-era stories, uh, which is kind of weird because Kyle – I mean, Kyle is – in a way, Kyle's part of it and it's kind of – can't say it's minor, but it's like, a, like it's mostly a framing device to be Right, fair. right. But the story itself is really interesting and it's – and – Especially since we've kind of seen a bunch of different versions of how the Green Lantern Corps was first started and how it grew, and this is, but at the time we didn't get a lot of these stories, I don't think. So this is kind of a yet another variation on how the Green Lantern Corps became, at least the size that it became, but not how it was necessarily formed, but how it became the oh the you know, the thirty six hundred and size police force it originally was, and it's and it's you know pre uh, Emerald Twilight. Well, temporarily. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, but before we get into that, uh, you had some stuff you wanted to dive uh, into. Oh yes, 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 I do. Um, now th- I want to talk about this. This is, and of course, it's from our late, from one, the, the the new newsarama, as I like to refer to it as. But it, they're not. They're, I mean, they didn't create the entire article, but we know they are. Cl- they are great at putting these clickbait or completely erroneous headlines. So our friends at MovieWeb posted an article which is about how – now, the article – the source the source article I'm looking at is from TVWeb in which supposedly an HBO affiliate because, has essentially leaked what the run times were, are going to be for the six final episodes of Game of Thrones. Meaning, and, though, and if that is to be believed, the first two episodes are an hour long, 60 minutes, and the final four are 80 minutes each. And, of course, and MovieWeb frames this as a link to this article that somehow the fans were misled or this is – the quote was, this isn't what the fans were promised. Going back to something which I know you and I have talked about on this show in the past, the idea – which is a rumor, and that's my whole point here. The idea that the that the final season was, were only going to be six episodes, but they were going to be really long episodes, like only – like movie-length episodes. And people have been speculating about that since – before the final season, the last season came came out. People were talking about that, even though you know Benioff and you know the showrunners as a, you know pretty much have been universal in, in saying how much material they thought was left, how many hours that they thought approximately they had left to tell, which is why we only ended up with the final thirteen episodes that we did in the last two seasons, seven last year, six this season, well two years ago technically, but seven last season and six this season. But everybody seems to be – not everybody. That's an exaggeration. But a sizable or at least the classic vocal minority tend to be upset and regurgitating this BS about how we actually were promised that these episodes were going to be really, really long. And there's, a, you know, there's an article I think about Ian Glenn said something, a director of one single episode, which actually I think what he said is absolutely correct, that he said that every episode was going to be between an hour and an hour and 20 so I don't even see why somebody posted that to try to defend themselves. 
because this is exactly his run times would confirm that that he was being accurate. But the idea that we were going to be getting like you know like hour and forty or two hour episodes these these epic movie length episodes that has never been confirmed about this. The showrunners have never confirmed it. There was no official press release by HBO confirming it. It was nothing more than speculation and a rumor. So for and you know and honestly, movie web is what they are, and they just put whatever the hell to try to get people to click on to click, and you know that's that and that's fine. But for people, but it's a really interesting. It's like a game of telephone here, where it's really interesting to see how people process information, because you, you know we talk about Game of Thrones on this show quite often. So the idea that you know, if this was officially announced, we would have been talking about it. And right. Whenever we, and whenever we have talked about it, we have always prefaced the fact that it's not confirmed. People have been saying this for like probably over two years that all oh, these are going to be all like two-hour episodes or close to it. It's like never confirmed, never. And certainly the showrunners who are, who are the ones who will make the final decision on this, they've never said that. Not right. even close to saying that. So to make it sound like a. The fans were being they were being lied to, and we were you know we were promised this. That's complete garbage, absolute garbage. And the idea that peep that people are like again hearing what they want to hear is like oh but this but that but it was hyped. It's like hype is not real. Hype is not fact. And I, and the thing that I pointed out and I I countered to try to make my point was, and we talked about this like a couple episodes ago that the Russos had come out and said that what the first assembled cut, no pun intended, of Endgame was around three hours. Does that guarantee the theatrical cut's going to be three hours? Is that a promise that the theatrical cut is going to be three hours? No. They're just, they, they, they're just, they were, they were giving, they were being honest enough to say, this is what, you know, we first put the movie, when we first put the movie together, like in a version, I guess they were somewhat happy with, it was three hours. That doesn't mean it's not going to change. It's not a guarantee until the movie, until the release, you know, the official release time gets, you know, Revealed, it's that's not a rev- revelation. It's not a promise. So it's similar to that. So there's so for people to make it sound like oh we've been and I understand part of it is because we had to wait an extra year, give you know we had to that we didn't get this in 2018 and we had to wait to 2019. But I get it. But it's like people. I mean, but people need to really under again. It's it's kind of like using that great term Clinton-esque. It's like people say stuff that. Words are chosen carefully and people, and sometimes on purpose because they know people are going to interpret them a different way, or sometimes people just choose to interpret them a different way, even if there was no intent to deceive. The reality is we were never promised, no matter how you slice it, phrase it, we were never promised we were going to have like movie-length episodes in the final season of Game of Thrones, and it certainly was never confirmed by the two guys who would know the showrunners and HBO has never issued a press release saying this is yes this is you know yeah so and I and I'm passionate about it because it just it's it just it's gar- because I'd be less passionate if it wasn't a, a point that we've touched upon before we've mentioned the rumors and we've always said they were rumors that's not confirmed that's not confirmed and for people to make it sound like oh yeah it's confirmed people are saying this people are saying that well the only <laughs> Pretty much only two. There's like two showrunners, right? Benny Off, and I always forget the other guy. Uh, but that they're the ones who make the final decision. They're the only ones who are going to know what their final running, what their running times or the episodes, or what the plan was for the episodes, really all along for the total running time. Let's say of season six of what's this? What is this? Season eight? Mm, eight or, right? It's eight. Nine. Nice. Is, no. Is it? I don't know. Eight. Season eight. Uh, I just saw it in the article. Season eight. That. They are the only ones who knew basically what they were, what the, you know, what they were, even before they started filming, based on scripts, pretty much what the running times were going to be. So I just, I just, to me, it's just, I don't know. I just think it's, it's amazing how people want to, you know, hear what they want to hear and block out what they don't want to block out. The reality is that it was absolutely never. We were not as fans promised, because if we, if, I, if we were promised, you know, I think both Chad and I would probably be pissed, right? If we felt mm-hmm. we, if we were legitimately promised these episodes were going to be, it would, it would, it's kind of, you know. So, I, I don't know. I've rambled on. You, you say anything you want to say about it? I mean, I don't have much to say. I'm not as invested in the in it as you. I do have all the the seasons, except for the most recent one for some reason, uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, I really enjoy Game of Thrones. I like talking about it when it's out, but for for whatever reason, I just don't get super hyped, you know, in the lead up to it. 
it's more of as it's happening sort of a thing. Uh, I don't seem to remember any promises being made. I mean, I've read a few of the articles and uh, not not in, the, in this particular case, but, you know, so every now and then in the lead up to a season, I'll, you know, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me click on that and see what the speculation or the rumors are, or, you know, the set photo that someone happened to catch or whatever that may be. Uh, and, and none of that do I remember being promised something. It, it, would I be slightly irritated if, uh, if the episodes were shorter than I'm used to already? Sure. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and rail against it because bottom line is, will the, will the episodes themselves be fun? Will they, you know, give me the story I'm looking for? Is it going to give me an entertaining uh, uh, time in front of the TV? That's really all that matters. I would, I would guess. Um, I mean, you don't want to come away from it going, wow, they, uh, you know, they really uh, short shrifted us here. They could have given us some more without uh, kind of rushing the story along. It really felt, uh, disconnected from everything else I've seen in the seven seasons prior. Uh, I mean, if, if, if that ends up happening, then sure, I'll be upset with the showrunners and HBO or whoever uh, in regards to the decision making. But for me, it's in this sort of a case, it's kind of it's kind of like the whole um, people who are freaking out about issue one of uh, Heroes in Crisis. It's just like the whole thing's not out yet. Why are you bitching? <laughs> you know, like wait till the story is told then freak out <laughs> because issue two could overturn what was done in issue one. You have no idea. How about you wait until it's done? Uh, so that's kind of the approach I'm taking with uh, season eight of game of Thrones. It's like, sure. It might slightly irritate me. The idea that it would be shorter than what I'm used to. It might in both at the amount of episodes and the length of episodes it, but it doesn't matter until I've watched the finished product. And besides, I mean, if we're, if even what they're talking about, if the reality is we're getting, we're getting two 60-minute episodes and we're getting four 80-minute episodes, then we're, you know, we're getting, then, then, while it might balance out to essentially the same running time as season seven, the reality is, the episodes themselves, on average, are going to be longer, because of the fact that you have you have four episodes that are like a about as long as the last episode of uh, season seven was. Hmm. So I mean, the episodes are longer. It's just that you know they're they're at least as long because we know there have been plenty of episodes in the history of Game of Thrones that have been under an hour. Some have been you know some have been really pretty lame, like around like fifty minutes or fifty one minutes, and then they hit the credits and the coming attraction for the next week. But so with the fact that so if that turns out to be accurate, where the, the actual running times for the first two are an, are a real hour, a real hour. And that even and I'm and I'll say a real hour, even if it means let's just say 50, 57 minutes of of, actual, of show and three minutes of credits, or but either way, let's say if it's an hour, no matter how you slice it, in the in the next or 80 minutes, the next four, I mean those are still sizable episodes. I mean people were just this is again the expectation game. People were pretty happy when you had like almost like an hour and a half season finale, you know. Mm. People thought, oh my god, that's so that's so long. I mean because we're not we're used to episodes like being under an hour. And now we're going to have supposedly four episodes that are that are pretty much that length of the of the final episode of season seven, and people are saying, "Oh, that's not what we were promised." It's like, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's, it's that we know the season's going to rise and fall based on the story that we get and how people react to it. Hmm. But but the false the false outrage, like you know, based on the idea that they're going they're going back against their on, on their word or something like that, or it's like a, or like rumors. Rumors were like somehow confirmation. You know that's just not that's just not the case. So. Well, let's talk about something you are passionate about. <laughs> well, after that, I don't know if I am going to be as passionate, but um, at least I at least I won't be getting into like uh, well, we can't make any guarantees, but I'm probably not going to be getting into back and forth on on Facebook about this. <laughs> but we never know. All right, so this 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 book is actually structured quite interestingly. It's written by what Scott Beatty, and God, there's a, there's a thousand artists in this book. Um, this is the co you know the covers by Sergio Cariello and Jesse Delperdang, with colors by Richard and Tanya Hori, 
The interior colors were by Tom McGraw. Bob Shrek was the editor. Frank Berrios, assistant editor. And the artists go by chapter in this book. So Graham Nolan and Mark Pennington did chapter one. Michael Lilly and Steve Mitchell did two. Joyce Chin and Stephen Baskerville did three. Grant Meme and Stephen Bird did four. Uh, Graham Nolan and Keith Aiken did five. Aaron Lepresti and Keith Aiken did six. And Graham Nolan and Mark Pennington did seven. So there's a lot. So that's actually a complete repeat because they did one and they did one and seven. So that's kind of appropriate. But some mixing and matching too. Uh, so. I like the fact that this is dedicated in fond memory to Gil Kane, one of the brightest lights that ever shined. Did uh, did Gil uh, pass away at the time this was published? What year did Gil die? I'm not sure. You want to Google that while I begin this? Uh, yeah. Let me let me do that here. And I will. And I will talk. And I will begin these. The recap. I'll go a little slower while you find that. So we basically we go back, but a little, uh, almost like about about. 1,350 years, give or take. Uh, back to Apocalypse. On Apocalypse. And I like the chat. Chapter 1 is appropriately, which is real funny, but Apocalypse Now, I mean, excuse me, Apocalypse Then, in contrast to Apocalypse Now, like the movie, and Apocalypse Literally Now, in the sense of the DCU. And the inhabitants of Apocalypse have their typical horrible life because it's on a, they're on Apocalypse. And guess who shows up trying to shine the light and give them a better life? No, not the Green Lantern Corps, but the Manhunters! And it's kind of funny when we get the background of this, because apparently it's, what, it's, it's a rare Manhunter that didn't go wacko and go off <laughs> and go off on, on his own, you know, to go to, to turn against the Guardians. This was still actually a Manhunter doing his duty. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I found it. Uh, so the publication date of this was August of 2000. Um, that would put it... Uh, on sale date two months earlier, so that's what June. Yeah. So Gil died on January thirty first of the year two thousand. So uh, actually, we're coming up on the eighteenth, uh, the nineteenth anniversary of Gil Kane's death. Wow, doesn't seem like it's been that long. But then again, in a way, it doesn't seem like this issue has been that long ago too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Kyle, so I guess it kind of is. But uh. So the, the the Manhunter shows up, and I, I still kind of like the square Manhunter power batteries. There is something kind of cool about that uh, design. So he's he's trying to make it clear that you know he wants he's trying to encourage the citizens, you know, that they can they, they can do better. He's there to kind of like free them from their you know their their servitude, everything else. Uh, these are what early parademons, pretty much, that he deals with, I think. Kind of, sort of, or pre the pre-parademon? No, they're, they're uh, Paramount, possible. right? The Order it's of possible. Paramount, I think they're called. Order, no, Order is Paramount. Um, but they look they look like the precursors either way to parademons. And the Manhunter at first, you know, it does well taking out taking out the advanced guard, if you will. But basically, we find out that you know there's there's they're they're so they're pretty much because they're so afraid of Darkseid and they're so conditioned to live in that fear. That they, that the citizens themselves of Apocalypse, who this Manhunter was coming to free, they turn, they turn on the Manhunter and they pretty much help, rip, you know, rip him apart. Uh, we get a younger Dark Side who kind of is a, uh, who is not, you know, realizes in this conversation that this really wasn't an advanced force. Essentially, it was just a lone invader. So now that the physical body is being is being dealt with. He uses his omega beams to to uh, but destroy the power battery. They take the remnants. Of, they take the remnants of this manhunter, and they basically throw him into the pits and, and burn it. You know, live for dark side, die for dark side, yada yada yada. Uh, now we jump to chapter two, a twice told tale, and now we're like pretty much at the watchtower on the moon. And for some reason, uh, well, first we have some interesting. Just some kind of like back and forth with Wally and Kyle and, and about their legacies, and it's kind of funny that it's a little too convenient in a way that, Car that Kyle kind of goes on that you know like uh, I have to carry the burden of the whole legacy, you know. You probably don't understand, which is kind of a stupid thing to say to Wally. I get, I kind of get why Kyle says it because he's carrying the whole weight of the core, 
not that Kyle knows anything about the core, really, <laughs> but it's not just one person, really, maybe in Kyle's mind. That's a whole legacy, everything the core, you know, everything that while Wally just is carrying on Barry's legacy, but still. Their, their little back and forth is kind of interrupted by the Martian Manhunter informs Kyle that essentially he has a a, a combat date, if you will, with Orion. Which I found a little interesting just from the perspective, and I don't know how you felt about it, the I, seeing what Kyle's relationship is with Orion now and like in the new re, in the rebirth era. It's kind of interesting to see like the old school long 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 pre new 52. Orion seeing these two characters square off back back obviously when Kyle was still in the Justice League. So Kyle and Orion have a little sparring session. Doesn't go particularly well for Kyle. That's not a great surprise. Uh, Kyle gets Kyle gets beaten down, and Orion afterwards is talking to Kyle, and he said, you know, you fought poorly today, Lantern, uh, considering it's your punishment because he was patching the hole that was made in the uh, Watchtower. It's like, I heard, I heard tell that you Emerald Warriors were built of sturdier stuff, so mighty that even Dread Darkseid was once nearly humbled by the green light. And I like this part, Kyle. I mean, Kyle kind of takes debate and goes, Hal? Hal tackled Darkseid? That's a new one. He goes, not Jordan. <laughs> and, it's almost, and it's almost like capped that way. Not Jordan. This was long before Jordan numbered your ranks, and and... Kyle starts looking for more information about the story. He goes, the lantern, the light bringer, I only know fragments, whispers from my youth. But if you're so intent about learning about this, you know, I'm sure Metron would surely know about it. So the, the game plan is to, Kyle's interested. It's like, so let's go to New Genesis. So kind of they kind of do a wibbly wobbly boom tube, right? <laughs> well, I think I think Orion just like takes the boom. initiative and and, Booms, and steals yeah, him. Yeah, he kind of, but. But, he de- but it's essentially a boom tube just without the mother box, right? Yeah. Well, no. Because remember, uh, later on, Kyle sends it off as a oh, package. Oh, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. All right. So, but the, so essentially, they're they're on they're on their way to New Genesis when they kind of get interrupted by uh, essentially we assume it's the Sade, right? I decide, excuse me. We think yeah, decide. The, the side gets in the way. And they end up on Apocalypse instead of New Genesis. And Kyle, you know, Orion's hurt, Orion's out cold, and Kyle pretty much wakes up and he's kind of deal with Calabac. Uh, who we know looks worse than, than he really is based on his luck with other lanterns. <laughs> his luck with almost everybody else, actually. Calabac gets beaten pretty pretty decisively by a lot of, a lot of good heroes. Uh, chapter three, which is darkness visible, and this is about, about give it a little bit less than 950 years ago, at the center of the universe on on Oa. You know the guardians are having a little council meeting there, and they they're still dealing with the issue of uh, you're dealing with the 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 issue of apocalypse. That you know they mentioned you know they mentioned a, a manhunter was lost on this dark world, and they kind of just have con- at this point they're. It's, they just kind of use the conjecture that he kind of turned against them, like if, like all the other Manhunters, even though we know from what we just saw that he didn't actually, that's not what happened to him. Uh, so that, so they really, they're kind of like mulling what to, mulling what to do with uh, Apocalypse. Now we we kind of cut back to, because, well actually this is a scene over, over some time on Apocalypse, that we see a Green Lantern basically being crucified on the wall, on a wall of a building. Uh, we, this kind of like cuts to the current moment where we see Kyle carrying the unconscious Orion, and he's trying to get him into a safe house, trying to prevent him from being, you know, as they're being attacked on Apocalypse. He takes refuge inside a building. Uh, meanwhile, Desad and uh, Desad and uh, Darkseid have this have a meeting or having a discussion. It's say as as we. Be, becomes clear, not surprisingly, that Calabac kind of got its ass kicked, and it's like I. So they're trying to, you know, basically find the find the intruders, find the intruders on the planet. Uh, yeah, because Desad didn't tell Darkseid what happened. Yes, he didn't. Fill, he did not fill him in on uh, basically what what he had done and who had arrived, right? Just yeah. The whole shebang. Uh, so Orion comes. Orion comes around, but but, but he's hurt. You know. 
uh, uh, Dasad kind of plays the game that oh I just I didn't tell you about this because I wanted to surprise you when I could lay these as you know down at your feet as a gift and you know dark, so pretty much Dark Side's pissed at both Dasad and Kalabak at this point it's like uh, Orion shall be brought to me and me alone as for the lantern you know tell the parademons that they may feast on its flesh yada yada so I kind of like this dog what do you think it's more like a bear like thing bear like, eh, it's kind of like a dog it kind of looks like Lockjaw almost a little bit so I guess it's supposed to be dog like because Kyle creates that cat that cat construct to freak him out and get him off the trail when he's when Kyle and Orion are about to be captured by some apocalyptic well, yeah, they're 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 just uh, apocalypse uh, warhounds. Yeah, they're warhounds. Uh, Sometimes you've seen them look like uh, massive. Uh, <sighs> Dalmatians is something else. I think I'm thinking of a, a different comic that had massive Dalmatians. But I, I've seen the warhounds look like uh, <sighs> what are the those uh, big, tall, skinny dogs with the pointed ears? Great days. <sighs> Yeah, big Great Danes. Maybe some big uh, traditional Dobermans in the past. Something like that. Someone write in, because I can't remember. There's a DC comic out there. It could be something involving Scarteris. Uh, it could be something involving... Um, uh, oh, God, why can't I think of it? Uh, it could be something involving Scarteris. It could be something involving some, uh, uh, Commandy. Um, but I think there's there's something in DC where uh, they they ride giant Dalmatians and I can't freaking remember what that is. But anyways, go go ahead. So um, Kyle and, and Orion are still seeking refuge, going deeper and deeper into the heart of Apocalypse, trying to get away. Then we suddenly get a a reveal of a, a cloaked figure who remove his cloak. He has a Green Lantern symbol on the top of his on the top of his headgear. Is his uniform? He goes. I knew the Guardians had not forsaken me. Finally, the war will be won. Dark Side will fall. Which begins Chapter Four. As you can tell, this is a relatively fast, fast-moving 80-page giant, which is one of the reasons I like it. Uh, so we actually get the introduction of. He introduces himself as Raker Karagat. Later, the Star System will soon. And he's like, surely the Guardians apprised you. Or, of my situation, and this is when Kyle has to basically inform him that there's, the, you know, the Guardians are dead. There is no core other than him, and it's kind of a sad moment. He kind of like he, because it seemed like his his hope was kind of like raised just to be dashed upon uh, the rocks. Uh, the Parademons continue their, they continue their search, uh, looking for Kyle and and Orion, mostly obviously for Orion from the sake of capture. Uh, Kyle continues to try to get more information out of Raker, and he asks, like, how long Raker has been here, and he goes, many, many years, and we essentially see kind of like this chamber that uh, Raker's been hanging out in, which is kind of like in a sewer system, pretty much. Um, But we see all all these uh, Green Lantern symbols on the wall, which basically is this, like, kind of like an a play on what we've seen before, like people like, you know, like in prison, like making marks on the wall to keep track of days and years that pretty much I think the Green Lantern symbols are supposed to keep track of, take the place of those lines uh, carved into the wall. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, meanwhile, you know, on the, Kyle's, you know, Kyle, we, I don't even know what the true relevance is of, uh, what is the true relevance of going back to uh, the Watchtower? Uh, because uh, uh, they, that they disappeared. Uh, no. Uh, so Kyle, thinking that the mother box is broken, sends it along with a uh, construct message in a bottle. Oh, that's uh, right. I'm sorry. To, to to get to the watchtower. So so yeah. The the mother box, assuming he assumes, I guess, has enough power to send the message through. Um, and the, the I guess the construct of the message in a bottle is some temporary uh permanent construct that he made uh and that's how they figure out that kyle and orion need help thank you thank you much um so now raker continues his story with kyle we find out that basically he was the third he was the third for of green lantern or emissary of the guardians is probably the better way to put it considering the manhunter uh to come to apocalypse 
and we get Rake, we get Raker's story that you know he, he gets he he arrives in Apocalypse. He pretty much can deal with the parademons pretty well. He goes to deal with Darkseid, and he kind of he tries to be super. He tries to out macho Darkseid, and he kind of fails miserably. Darkseid crushes his ring hand. He takes his ring, crushes his hand. I kind of like Raker's power battery too. I think that's a kind of nice little mer- nice little in in between stage between the Manhunters and the traditional power battery. It actually looks more like a cross between Kyle's battery and Alan's. Yeah, yeah. I, I see that too. I see that too. So either way, no matter how you want to view it, and you, I think what you're saying, I see that too. That I think it's, that's cool. That's that. There's a there's a power battery prop that'd be never made, but it'd be, be kind of cool. <coughs> Pardon me, my throat's getting dry. Um, so the injured Raycar, uh, using the power of this power battery, essentially, uh, is able to escape the surface of uh, Apocalypse. We find out now, we, which we which we didn't actually see happen, but the reason why I said this, we find out now that when he crushed, Darkseid crushed Raker's hand, he took the power ring what was left of it, and he gave it to to uh, Sod to go, to experiment with it. Uh, Raker goes back to talk to the Guardians, and you, know, you kind of get the vibe, you know, which is, makes sense. The so Raker is one of the upper echelon as it's, of the Guardians, of the Green Lanterns that exist at this time, which is not a huge number. You know, he obviously is held in very high regard by the guardians but he you know he's been he's been humbled and you know he's kind of pointing out that you know pretty much that you know how easily dark side you know dispatched him and everything else and but but being who he is raker kind of has a plan and kind of is not willing to give up he just this has kind of inspired him more and they ask him you know, you know what are your recommendations if you have any and it's like well to start we're we're going to need more of these which is he holds up the power battery and <clears throat> Kind of like Emerald Twilight S seeing him in, in the arm in the sling, having his hand, his arm in the sling there. But pretty much, uh, we see Raker going out on a recruiting drive. Uh, he's, he starts bringing in lanterns after lantern to kind of like ex- expand their number. Uh, but the whole, you know, with the whole purpose of uh, to basically to, to to invade Apocalypse and to uh, bring down Darkseid. And Raker Karagat is given the Green Lantern Corps to command. Um, Kyle's like listening to this and he goes, 3,600 agents in two years? That's the ultimate pyramid scheme, Raker. <laughs> it's like, our numbers were tru- truly formidable, but not sufficient to prevent our undoing. Um, Kyle, Kyle does mention here about sending out the distress saw. He sent out a distress distress signal. It's like, we just have to be patient and hope the right people heard it. <clears throat> now, we, we, then we find out that, you know, we, the mother box, pretty much, and uh, Plastic Man has the mother box that Kyle sent along the way. It's back in the watchtower. Uh, Raycar kind of, now he gives the, the recap of what happens when they, inv- they went to invade Apocalypse, but of course, because the yellow ring had been, I mean, the, the green ring, excuse me, had been experimented on and, and from Desaad, he figured out the yellow weakness, so you had parademons and even and eventually even Apocalypse himself, I mean Darkseid, excuse me, everybody's wearing yellow because of course all the Green Lantern rings at the time had had the yellow weakness. I like seeing young High Father, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Young, not douchebaggy High Father too. Classic High Father. Uh, so essentially the attack goes very, very very poorly. Most of the Green Lanterns, or well, not a significant amount of the 3,600, are are wiped out during two thirds. Yes, during the initial attack, uh, Raker is trying to rally the remaining troops to basically use you know other weapons, not having to rely entirely on uh, the, their their ring constructs, and they do fairly well considering they 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 do fairly well, and Raker gets his one-on-one rematch with. Dark side, and he actually does pretty well against him one on one too, which is a testament to who he is. Then, of course, the Guardians, being the douchebags that they are, the Guardians show up and they say, "Well, you know, this world is best suited, you know, more to be under Apocalypse. Apocalypse is better suited overall to be under Dark Side's rule." So, more or less, he comes to make a deal, and it's like, uh, you know, is 
basically the apocalypse is pretty much removed from the galactic core we police so you leave leave those regions unmolested and basically the guardians were going to turn a blind eye to whatever a, a dark side does in this in this region of space and on apocalypse um, of course dark side's not so quick to, to cave until the guardians point out that you know basically we don't have the, we don't have any weakness to yellow and you really don't want to mess with us and that seems to work for the most part with uh, with uh, Dark Side, but Dark Side kind of has a caveat in his own about it. Well, I'm willing to accept this deal on one condition, and that one condition, unfortunately, is that Raker Karagat gets left behind. Uh, I kind of this is kind of cool because there's a nice payoff for it. one one of the one of the lanterns that, of course, Raker recruited, uh, Ashpack Glyph. Uh, before he goes, you know, he he, he touches Raker's he- head, he touches Raker's hand, seemingly as a you know kind of like a tender moment and a, and a gesture of friendship and bonding, which of course it is, but not only that. And then the Green, the Green Lantern Corps and the Guardians leave, and pretty much Raker from that time on has to you know fight for his life, and we find out he's kind of been continuing continuing this fight all along. He's kind of been inspiring hope and Norlix a rebellion on Apocalypse. Uh, thanks to Raker, uh, Orion kind of gets healed up, and Orion, you know, Orion, come in Raker and Kyle are in are in battle here dealing with what are these things? Dwarflings. Mm-hmm. Uh, some apocalyptic, apocalyptian dwarfling and their hound or their rat pets to them. Uh, it's um, they look so they they're looking they're looking for a way out to to avoid everything. You know Kyle's Kyle's ring at this point you know runs runs out of energy, and they're trying to figure out how the hell they're gonna survive this situation. And <clears throat> excuse me, Raker's like, well, you got you know you guys you pretty much I'll take on the parademons and cover you so you can so you guys can escape. And he's like, how are you gonna do this? You don't even have a power ring anymore. And he said, and then Raker has his first revelation, which is, I never said I didn't have a ring, Young Lantern. And we find out he's got a power ring, basically as a necklace, essentially around his neck, being held there, it's, it's like a pendant. And now Kyle realizes that, you know, with that story that Raker was telling about Ashpag Glyph, that he kind of like, a, he, he basically slipped him a power ring. So Raker still had one, and, and, and Raker takes on all these dwarflings and everything else, and at that point... Uh, Steel, the Flash, and who's that Plastic Man, right? Yeah, looking like an idiot, but it's Plastic Man. Show up, show up with the mother box and a boom tube to rescue Orion and Kyle to take them off Apocalypse. And Kyle, you know, wanted to go. You know, Kyle kind of wanted to go back and get Raker. And it's like we can't just leave him there. And it's like choose your battle, choose your battles, Lantern. And <clears throat> you know, Dark Side is kind of look. Dark Side is kind of like a they realize they're too late to get Orion, and he gets pissed, and he, you know he, he sends off his uh, Omega beams, you know, to. What what was he trying to destroy in particular? Or do we do we just don't know? What did Darkseid shoot his energy beams yeah. at? Yeah. He was do shooting them after. He was shooting them after. Uh, right, but, but but oh, after them before they went to the boom tube. Right. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, so he he missed them, but he was aiming for the boom tube. Now we got the epilogue where Kyle and. Uh, Kyle and the Flash are talking, and he's, Kyle was filling uh, Wally in on the story, and it's like the question that he he says is, I don't quite get it. It's like uh, I don't understand how where you know where was his battery? You know, he had a power ring, but how could he have survived all those years, you know, without a ba- without a power battery? And we realize we find out that it basically hidden in his his headgear was which another thing Ashpack Glyph gave him or, or created for him was that he embedded a power battery basically in his own headgear. So he did have a power ring, and he did have a power battery, and that pretty much ends the story. We can get into some of the details, uh, but why this story? I like the character. I, I think, and that's why I was really, I, even though they really have done almost nothing with him, I do like the fact that they did technically bring Raker Karagat back into the core after Green Lantern Rebirth. Because they show that I think he shows up in a, in a page or two, but also when you look at the the secret files, I think something like that. 
or or it could have been an 80, 80 page giant, but I think it was secret files that they one of the bios that they have is a, is a Raker Carrigot saying that he was brought back into the core after the core was restarted. Uh, I think he's a noble character. I think he's a powerful character. It's kind of cool looking. It's always cool looking back at like the leaders of the core at different periods of time. Um, the fact that they gave him during this time frame, during this version of Green Lantern history, that they made him really be the one responsible for increase for a dramatic increase of members, getting us to the number that tradition that we think of traditionally of Green Lanterns, which is 3,600 before the Sector Partner stuff. I thought it was a cool story. I liked I liked the rivalry with Darkseid. I think it's it's once again a typical look into the into the Guardians. How the Guardians are always willing to the Guardians are always willing to sell you out if they think they can get something better. Which I understand, and based on their role, what they're looking at, it's kind of always big picture. And this may have been smaller, or they make a sometimes. Do you think this is the best move, and then you realize that it's not, and they have to adjust? But Raker was, you know, Raker was this really loyal guy who, you know, who just did what the Guardian said and thought they were always looking out for the greater good, kind of like Hal, like without less dissent. Hal always had a natural dissent, and and maybe in disdain, maybe for the Guardians as, as over time, but he still thought they were doing. They had the the bigger picture plan in mind, so that's why he was willing to go through with a lot of stuff that they wanted. But just the fact that Raker was left behind and he was sacrificed, but yet he still didn't, he never really gave up that someone was going to come get him. He, believing in the Guardians. So, and, so the, like, I mean, the Kyle stuff is a framing device, like we said. It, the stuff with Kyle really is not overly important to the story, truly. I mean, they could have told Raker's story just as an 80 page giant, not with Kyle being in it at all, but I guess it made it an easier sell. To, to introduce a new character this way, and those are the main reasons I think why it resonates so well so well with me. Do you have some uh, attachment to Apocalypse and Dark Side and that whole side of things that I'm not aware of, or not overly? I mean, I don't. I mean, I really don't. I've I've kind of gone on a lot about how I don't really think much of the New Gods as a whole. I have moments, you know, there have been times when Orion's been interesting, there have been times when High Father's been interesting. I've never been a big fan of Dark Side. The only time I thought Dark Side was interesting was during the uh, Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey, just because it was such 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 an interesting story just to have do, just to have uh, Dark Side be humbled and just and taken out so completely that I, I thought that was that was but no, I don't. I don't really care about the new gods as a whole. I just thought this. I thought this was a, you know, just the being undercover and under siege and kind of like you know in the back alley, literally like the, the you know the the dark underbelly of this world and trying and, and kind of like fighting the good fight and also kind of like inspiring you know hope in the process and everything else. I think I thought that was kind. Of, I, I kind of the concept I liked, but I, but the char- his character I really liked. I mean, I like to. I mean, I like this character. This character has essentially appeared for the most part in in one book, and I like him a thousand times more than Simon Bass. <laughs> <laughs> and he's more relevant than Simon Bass, based on who he was, his role. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. I don't have I don't have a ton to say about it, and and the reason is because of the new gods. I could never get into Dark Side, Desad. Uh, vermin, granny goodness, all. I mean, obviously, I know all of them, the Furies and all that stuff. I just, I, I could never get into it. Um, maybe, maybe just because I still haven't yet found my attachments to Jack Kirby. Just because, you know, people say, you know, oh. it, people say that, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, you know, the king, and and he is. I, I can certainly. Uh, look back on his his body of work, his contributions to the medium of comics, and I can look at all this and and see the man's talent and and his impact. But that is a wholly different thing to me than appreciating and enjoying his artistic style itself. And I've not found my love of Jack Kirby's style. 
I know a lot about him and his history, but beyond that, his style has never really appealed to me. So as such, there was never any desire for me to go back, uh, you know, because, you know, you, you read something about a character. And for me personally, I read something and I go, hey, I like this. Uh, I want to see where this came from. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to read some of the old stories. Well, those old fourth world stories are Jack Kirby stuff. Uh, and I just can't. I can't, I can't do it with, with Jack Kirby's art. Um, but, uh, you know, I always just found some of the characters super weird. It'd be one thing if it was, uh, dark side and decide, you know, the sort of mad sniveling scientist that kind of makes sense. Uh, Calibac is a bit crazy, but uh, you get, you get the whole, uh, Calibac and Orion being traded by high father and dark side. That makes some interesting, sort of drama and interplay between New Genesis and Apocalypse, so that's cool. But then you throw in Granny Goodness and Vermin and all these others, and I'm just like, yeah, we went too cartoony for my tastes, uh, and it just doesn't seem to fit the menace of, uh, uh, of what I personally view and have in my mind of Dark Side and Apocalypse. You know, you juxtapose him with someone like Vermin and Granny Goodness when you got those character designs standing right next to what is supposed to be one of the most feared beings in the entire DC universe. I don't really get that feeling from <laughs> from looking at Darkseid when he's got those two standing next to him. So, uh, so for that reason, anything really involving Darkseid and the Apocalyptean uh, uh, cast there just doesn't really uh, appeal to me. That being said, Riker Karagat pretty cool character uh enjoyed his origin i enjoyed his uh sort of not he 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 was cocky but uh but also super loyal to the guardians uh while also pushing back against them saying like i respectfully disagree going on this huge recruitment drive looked like he had a real bee in his bonnet for apocalypse and dark side uh made it personal um so there's there's a lot there too learn and like about uh Rekar Karagat's motivations and and personality and stuff within just these 80 pages. So that was cool. Um I like that they took the time to design and create some of these characters. Um so we have uh Alessander uh the 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 female lantern. Do you, do you know where she's from? You can tell you can tell by looking at her. <laughs> I'm trying to go back to the page now when she's on. She's from Sector 2828, which is notable because it is home to Ran, to Vega, to uh, uh, let's see, the Citadel. Thanagard Thana too, or no? Uh, uh, no. Uh, it is uh, no. I brought it up because it well, it's also home. Uh, 2828 is home to Okara. It is also home to. Tamaran, as in Starfire. Yep. So she's a Tamaranian. You can tell she's got the orange skin, the green eyes, the red hair. She's—I I would assume she's uh, the first Tamaranian to be in- inducted into the Green Lantern Corps, based on this story. Of course, this is probably no longer in continuity. Whatever, who cares? Uh, but that was cool. Uh, I like the the Monkey Lantern. Yes. Uh, that was kind of cool. I feel like I've seen him before in other things. I just can't remember. What was his name? Bishy. And it's B like comma. Yeah, I just it's it's uh, B comma S H I. Bishy. Yeah, man, I'm I'm looking up his him his uh, information in the Green Lantern wiki. Yeah, I was gonna do that too. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like yeah. The whole recruitment drive was cool. I like the fact, like you said, how he makes it personal and basically he's he's the one who, you know, basically he helps bring the core up to the numbers that we think of, with a single purpose basically. But the point of of invading Apocalypse that was the purpose, overwhelming force. Yeah, my 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 curiosity here is in the choice of JLA members. I'm wondering if the creative team was limited in what they could and couldn't do here because 
you have freaking Martian Manhunter make an appearance in this thing only to be sort of ref for a training event, yet on the mission to go get Kyle and Orion, you have Steel, who we haven't seen up until this point, except for the moment that uh, that Eel you know, drops down the, the mother box and says, listen up. Uh, we have Steel, Flash, and and Plaz go get them. Well, why 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 is Steel here? If you made time to put Martian Manhunter in it earlier, I I, I don't I, that didn't make much much sense to me. I get the Wally thing because of Kyle's friendship with Wally. I get the Eel thing because for some reason around this this time period, Eel is uh, Eel O'Brien. For those of you who don't know Plastic Man, I call him Eel. Um, having Eel here is just like, it's kind of par for the course, uh, at, at this point in DC Comics, uh, publication, because there's that whole Green Lantern issue, right, in Kyle's run. you if you guys have seen a lot of the, the covers from Kyle's run, it's, uh, Eel is stretched all over the place on the cover, and Kyle's like all tangled up in him. Yeah, I think I yeah. remember that. Yeah, so there's he's he's all over the place in DC publications. So of course he's going to make it a an appearance for comedic sake and background, you know, gags and stuff like that here and there. But it just the steel and and Manhunter, it just didn't make a ton of sense to me. Uh, a rescue mission to Apocalypse and you don't bring Martian Manhunter. Mm, okay. Um, I guess you could make an argument for for uh, John's weakness to fire, going to Apocalypse, which is the home of those fire pits, and that's probably not the best idea. I guess that could be the the logic there, but okay. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's it's like Kyle is almost an unneeded accessory to this. He's almost the he's almost the device by which we get uh, the reason for the story in the first place, like we. Like, we're going to tell the story, but we need a reason to tell this story. Oh, Kyle's looking for more background in history on the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. pretty much sums it up. So, um, There were some references to some other comics in here, but they weren't. Like, for instance, they were talking, uh, Kyle mentioned uh, having a Manhunter in the Watchtower versus, yep. you know, Guy that, and everything, yeah. Yeah, guy having one in Warriors, which is a callback to I think they said 117. Um, but those are all like surface level callbacks. Nothing super in depth here. Um, I'd be sort of curious now to try and compare this story um, to the Green Lanterns story we got of the first seven lanterns. Yeah, because. You get the feeling that this is before a big recruitment drive, and Raker says he's the third, but he says he's the third of the of of the of the people who were sent to Apocalypse. So is Raker? I mean, if you're trying to make your own continuity out of all this mess, is Raker after the first seven? So, just thinking aloud. Yeah, I don't. I- I don't know. I mean, I think we're supposed to. I think there's more Green Lantern. I I kind of got the impression that there's more Green Lanterns. It's just that they're just not in large numbers, you know. So I don't. Yeah. It's it, it, but it's 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 certainly left to for interpretation. For sure. Because they don't give you a whole lot to go on, which 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 isn't bad because on some level, because sometimes it's good being able to. Uh, Fill in the blanks. Yeah, it, fit. yeah, it was definitely a good story. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not personally drawn to Apocalypse, so the fact that I was able to enjoy the story despite such a heavy element of something I'm not normally actively looking for, um, that was a, it was a, a pleasant surprise to enjoy it. I agree. Anything else you want to say about this book? Since uh, I mean, you're, you're, you've been wanting to cover it for a long time. No, and- I, I have wanted to cover it for a long time. It's it kind of saddens me that this is a character that really nobody has revisited to tell stories with. Uh, 
and I th- I just think that's kind of I just think that's kind of sad. I mean, there's a there's a lot to like about this character. Well, given the uh, the random stones that uh, uh, Morrison keeps kicking over, it's more likely than ever we'll see him again. It would, I would like to think so. It would be it, it would it would be nice, uh, but we'll have to we'll have to keep our keep our fingers crossed on that one. But I I just have always liked this story, so I can see why. All right, uh, anything else you want to talk about before we go ahead and wrap up this episode? I don't think so. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Well, uh, yeah, I keep mentioning various things about uh, creative credits, uh, dropping some some hints here and there. Uh, there is a reason for it. I'm not just continually uh, trying to maintain hype for the stuff. There's actually things going on. Um, so as as we record this, of course, obviously I've I've mentioned that I've got the Twitter set up, I've got the page set up, um, the name creative credits set up, the album art, and uh, as of uh, yesterday, actually, I've got two scheduled interviews on the books for the coming week or two. So, don't, uh, again, still not going to give any uh, uh, idea on a release date for upcoming episodes of that. Um, I can tell you, though, that the first episode is a huge, huge name in the comics industry um again as of right now those interviews are scheduled have not been recorded once they're recorded edited put together the way i want them to the way i want them to be then you can expect an announcement and then the release of it but uh mark when i say big name am i lying to them (laughs) no it's big uh and no it's not jack kirby though you really did try to get that one I tried. Uh, you, 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 lots of Ouija boards. It just wasn't meant to be this time. It just wasn't. Uh, I, I, I recorded. I, I recruited the doctor, and he said, "Sorry, fixed point in time." <laughs> <laughs> but you tried. You did try. Uh, no, I think. I think your description meets that definition. For sure. For sure. So uh, look forward to it, guys. Like I said, go, if you have a Twitter, go follow the show over on Twitter. Uh, I'm constantly just uh, hyping it up, but uh, as soon as anything's announced, it'll be announced there. So go follow the Twitter. That's all I got to say. Otherwise, yeah, I've I've, uh, you want to do a bit of comic talk? Have you been reading anything lately? Anything other than obviously what we cover for this show? It's got you excited. Got me excited? No, not really. I I, I've read the last few issues of Superman. Uh, when being in the Phantom Zone or whatever, dealing with uh, what's his name, Rogar Alzal, whatever the hell his name is. Rogar yeah. yeah, with Zod and Zod there too, uh, which is much more interesting than action right now. Action's been kind of boring. Uh, no, no, no Doomsday Clock since what beginning of this, sometime in December, I think. I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's right. And we're not getting one, I think, till February. But either way, uh, no, I haven't really been, I haven't been reading much. Yeah, I'm not too caught up on my my DC stuff. Um, you know, I've got those issues of like Superman and and Action Comics to catch up on. I've got the issues of Justice League, Justice League Dark, um, uh, Freedom Fighters started coming out. Um, House of Whispers is is still an ongoing thing that I'm I'm trying to pay attention to. Uh, Shazam issue two actually came out today as we record this, and of course we've got the Titan stuff with Kyle, but I'm I'm behind on all of that. So, um, and this this, this kind of the same kind of goes for Marvel, man. Like, I've I've been you know you know grabbing and snatching up my Mister Mrs X and my Venom and and uh, there's a new Daredevil series called Man Without Fear that's like four issues in now that I've been wanting to try. And keep up with, but I just I just haven't found the time to just open the tablet and start reading. But indie stuff, man, has been really has been really uh, catching my eye. There's a there's actually a series out. Uh, there's two series out now. I actually kind of want to want to talk about. Yeah, did did you see that uh, Dick Tracy's back? Oh God, really? Yeah. So they're doing Dick Tracy. IDW is doing Dick Tracy comics. Um, it's written by Lee and Michael Allred. Uh, 
uh, penciler Rich Tommaso. Um, so yeah, man, Lee and Mike Allred, um, doing some, some, uh, some Dick Tracy stuff. At least that's the, the, the first issue, uh, which I read. I have, I've got issue two and three. Haven't read those yet, but I'm pretty sure that's the same creative team. So yeah, I've, I've been, uh, it's just cartoony enough to be sort of matching, you know, uh, Dick Tracy's thing, uh, in style, but that was cool. Uh, and I've been reading this new comic from Image called The Freeze, um, which I've, 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 it's only two issues in, uh, but it's by uh, Dan Wickline and Philip Sevy. Uh, I've really been enjoying it. It's kind of like this, it's this weird event where like some, uh, some ev- event happens that causes everybody on the planet to freeze. And I don't mean like into solid blocks of ice. It's almost like, like a time stop sort of a thing where they just become frozen in place. Uh, and there's this one guy uh, who is capable of when the freeze happens, it doesn't affect him. And when he touches others, he can bring them back. Uh, and, you know, and, and they eventually like form this little group of people. They start, you know, um, digging into, uh, the various people and deciding who they want to unfreeze for what purposes and, and all this stuff based on like the kind of person they think they are based on the records they can find of them. And it turns out he like unfroze someone who's bad. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's interesting, man. Uh, it's one of those joint publications between image and top cow, uh, which has been putting, putting out some great stuff lately because image and top cow, uh, have been doing their thing. Of course, image owns top cow, but, uh, port of earth, which I was really uh, excited about is one of the image top top cow collaborations. So super exciting stuff. And, um, I, I, I just heard that uh, uh, Cream Magazine, they're doing a, a, a documentary on Cream Magazine, which is a, a freaking uh, a uh, rock and roll magazine from the 60s and 70s. Um, big big uh, uh, employer of Lester Bangs, one of my favorite rock critics of all time. Um, Cream, they, they've been doing this documentary kind of trying to crowdfund it, get it up off the ground. It's going to be premiering this year at South by Southwest, uh, South by Southwest or ACL. One of the two, uh, here in Austin in, uh, this year. So just nice. heard about that. Super excited. Oh, all right. Yeah. So, sorry if I sound weird folks, I got some stuff going on with family and, and things like that. I don't want to get into, but, uh, Oh, I forgot to tell you. I ordered I ordered some comics off of Amazon that finally arrived, which were uh, some trade paperbacks. Because you, as you know, I'm a big Bill and Ted fan, so I already had the Bill and Ted's excellent comic book archive, which is like the sort of omnibus that collects all the all the Bill and Ted comics from like the the late '80s, early '90s. Well, I, uh, Boom Studios started doing modern Bill and Ted comics, like Bill and Ted's Triumphant Return, Save the Universe, and Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Uh, I got all three of those trade paperbacks. <laughs> nice. That's Chad. <laughs> so I've got my Bill and Ted pop finals. I've got my Bill and Ted comic book archive, the recent trades. I've got the 30th anniversary steel book. <laughs> I'm ready, man. Let's bring on Bill and Ted three. <laughs> Supposedly they're the, not, they've, they've, I think begun production is what they've said. Or, or 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 the script is finished and approved. I, I thought the script was done. I, I I could be wrong. I didn't. I don't. I don't remember hearing that they were as far along as about going into production. Yeah, it's been. It, that's one of those things that they're not giving us a ton of information on. Unlike Gambit, where like they're giving us these oh, stories God. every now and then that like Channing Tatum is saying he'll direct it himself if that's what it takes. <laughs> talk, talk about. I mean. That that story is even stupider than the Game of Thrones one because we because there is no reason to believe. I mean, we we thought that. I mean, you had more hope than I did um, mm-hmm. because of your interest in the character. But there, but for, let's be honest. For a while now, there's been no logical reason to believe that there that that project was anything but DOA, and that was even before the merge the acquisition by Disney. 
was coming down the road. Now that that's, uh, but, I had I had faith in it only because this is the exact same boat Venom was in for so long. It's on the slate. It's off the slate. It's got a director. It doesn't have a director. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It was years of that for Venom, and then it eventually ended up happening. Yeah, so, but Venom didn't have to worry about the whole – about having somebody buy their studio and then saying, hey, stop. we're determined we're determined to have you stop releasing shit. <laughs> so, which, which, speaking of which, there is also another rumor going – about about new mutants that it's either going to be pushed back to November or it's just going to end up going on Hulu. <laughs> Again, rumor not confirmed. Uh, but that was a little more believable because the track record of the project. <laughs> but the idea, yeah, Channing Tatum, the odds of Channing Tatum ever becoming Gambit are really remote. <laughs> Unless he's going to do a home video or or it's role play night at the Tatum house. I really don't see that happening. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Kevin Feige's gonna have some. It's gonna have a little better casting than uh, than Channing Tatum. <laughs> All right. I think that's a bit. I think I've. I think I've, we've exhausted the the comic talk. Is there anything else uh, uh, you want to talk about? Either inspired by what we just talked about, or something we forgot to mention? Uh, no, I don't think there's anything. That. All right. Want to tell people how they can find us? I reckon so. Uh, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter and Facebook, if you like us there, are looking for us. Hashtag GLCast, and you can track us down. Uh, we are on iTunes and Stitcher. Whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. 708 Lantern, let us know what you think. All right, do we know what's next? Not a clue in the world. Well, we got a list, but we got a uh, list. But speaking of which, I had a couple of things I wanted to a- ask you about since I have them in front of me, since they were in the same bag as this eighty-page giant. I wanted to go over a couple of things with you. Well, should 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 we just do that now, just to let people no no have a tease? No, 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 no. All right, well, that's fine. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. And good night. <laughs>